All right, welcome back. I'm one of your co-hosts, Richie Gary. And I'm Ryan Hartnett. And this is Quick Slants. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. What exactly is Quick Slants? Well, it's not really that quick, but we do have a lot of different takes from different areas, so you could say it's somewhat slanted point of view. And the reason is, we cover a bunch of different people who cover the sports that you know and love, whether that be a columnist, a TV host, maybe even a former athlete if we get lucky. So the way it really works is, we're trying to give you that perspective, hence the term quick slants. And now I'll pass it off to Ryan with how we're basically going to run each show, we're going to have a little rundown, and we'll just run through it. Some segments we'll be uh, showcasing throughout the show. Uh, the Big House Ins and Outs with Connor. Athlete Eats with Yana. And we'll also have our first interview with John DiCarlo, who's the managing director of student media at Temple University. So kind of going off Temple and us being students at St. Joe's, we were kind of discussing before some experiences we've had throughout our college teams, whether we played on them or, or, or just watched them. One for me in particular would be my freshman year. DeAndre Bembry, Isaiah Miles, we had such a great uh, a great program that year. I believe that was a 2015-16 year. Uh, weren't expected to do much. Obviously, the team was known for their 2004 run, going to the Final Four and all that with Jameer Nelson. And some will say that team from 2015 probably was the second best team that, that we probably had, considering all the talent we had in the pros. But uh, that's some of my experiences, having that that good team my freshman year and really something to look forward to for the next four years yeah I mean what an experience that was I mean for me it was my sophomore year and it was it was still just as magical because we had no signs of promise in my freshman year of doing anything close to what we did my sophomore year so for them to go all the way beat Cincinnati at the buzzer I mean heart attack but we did it and but for me I gotta say my most treasured college sports moment has to be when I was actually assigned to go and photograph the collegiate rugby championship um, with St. Joe's actually last year in 2017 and for me that was just such a cool experience I knew some of the guys so I know like the time that they put in I documented some of their practices before and just to see all of that culminate in that moment of them actually holding up that trophy and I still have the shot on my desktop it's it's just something that I'll never forget and even though I wasn't necessarily the one who put in the work I still felt a part of it in some way and for me that's what college sports is all about is bringing a student body together but without it I'm just gonna stop rambling so let's get on to our segments so without further ado here's the big house all right guys uh, let's get into this week's uh, future betting uh, this week we're gonna focus on the World Cup big tournament coming up in late June uh, all the best teams in the world are gonna be there so we're gonna look at some of the group stage futures so for me I'm looking at Spain over six and a half points. Um, so for people that don't know, a win in the World Cup against the team is three points. So this is uh, over is for them to get over two wins and then either a tie or another win. Obviously, Spain is one of the, like the premier teams in the world with players like Diego Costa, David De Gea, Isco, you name it. They have the players necessary to win a World Cup, let alone get out of this group. So I really do like them at minus 150 to win to get more than six points another uh, team that i think would be somebody to look for in the group stage would be a um egypt over three and a half points they got a tough group with um portugal but however i have players like muhammad el any and as well as um 
Mohamed Salah. So for players like those who are coming off a season in the Premier League who are in good form, I really think that they're going to play well um, in the World Cup. They're performing at a high level, those two players. As well, they've got other players that are in the Premier League as well as, well as other top leagues in the world. So I really do think that they would be a good pick if you're looking to kind of have an underdog in the group stage. Now to get into who I think is going to overall outright win the World Cup, it's going to be tough because you've got teams like Brazil, Germany, Spain, France, like your your blue bloods when it comes to uh, soccer teams in the world. A team that I really think that if you had to put a lower, you know, a little bit of money on, maybe as a dark horse, it would be Belgium. With players like Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, Moussa Dembele, their defense is very good with Toby Alderweireld and um, Thomas Vermeulen. They're a really sound team. It's just a matter of whether or not they can actually perform on the field together. That's what it comes down to. They're all all those players are coming off of form, so I kind of like I I like them. They're at a plus eight fifty right now. But if you had to pick somebody to like put a lot of money on, it's never never a problem to really go with Germany. I mean, they won it last time. They've got so many good players. Leroy Sané, who plays for Manchester City, who's out a fantastic year. Thomas Muller for Bayern Munich. They have the best goalkeeper in the world in Manuel Neuer. So it'd be there's no reason not to pick them if you're gonna bet, like if you're gonna go for like a surefire, um, to at least get to the World Cup final. I think they they have a great opportunity to win it there. So those are kind of those that would he, they would be my lock, and then I'd have Belgium kind of coming in as like a dark horse. And now we turn it over to Yana with her Athlete Eats. Hey guys, welcome to the first section of Athlete Eats, where we're going to be going over a nice hearty breakfast this time with a hash brown breakfast bowl. So if you're super hungry after a workout or just hungry in general, I guess you could eat this. So basically it's just shredded potatoes or frozen hash browns, like a cup or a cup and a half a half a cup of chopped onions, a half a cup of chopped bell pepper for some vitamin C, a half a cup of sliced mushrooms, which will be like your meat. If you're not doing meat that day, it gives it like the hardiness. Also a half a cup of black beans, which also adds some meatiness to it. Um, A third a cup of pico de gallo or salsa, and then you could garnish with fresh cilantro. Also add an egg and a sixth of avocado or two to three medium slices and then finish with some salt and pepper. Basically, you want to drain and rinse the black beans and set them aside and then you're going to heat them well by heat. Then you can add in your uh, shredded hash browns, shredded potatoes or hash browns, onions and bell pepper. Um, Allow them to cook and then flip them whenever they look like they're getting nice and caramelized. After several minutes, you can add the mushrooms and continue to cook. And once your desired crispiness is achieved, transfer them to a bowl. Keep the heat the same and you can add in um, the egg and fry it up. And then once you're done with that, you can transfer that all to a bowl. Add the egg on top, add the salsa and the cilantro. To pair that, if you're still super hungry, I guess you could add a protein shake on top of that if you wanted or just a 12-ounce glass of water, iced coffee, and there's your breakfast. And for these recipes and more, you can check them all out on our website at quickslants.wix.com. 
All right. I have an interview right here now with John DiCarlo. He's the managing director of student media at Temple University. He was appeared on a guest on multiple shows such as uh, The Fanatic and also The Fan in Pittsburgh. So you could say he's somewhat of a famous journalist. And today uh, we're gonna we're just gonna have a couple questions for you, John. Nothing too deep, but uh, hopefully we can gain some cool insights from it. So I guess I'll start off with, um, what does your uh, typical day look like as a media director at Temple? Um, it's it it can be crazy, but it's rewarding. So yeah, my full time job at Temple is um, being the managing director of student media. So I'm the advisor to the Temple News, which is. Temple student newspaper. We'll forget that colleges have yearbooks, but they do a good job. They work pretty hard. And then I'm the advisor to WHIP, which is Temple student internet radio station. Um, I teach two sports writing classes as an adjunct there, a sports writing class, the same one I taught here at St. Joe's as an adjunct, and then an advanced sports reporting class. And then um, I've been on the radio mostly for my freelance work, I'm the editor of a, a website called alscoop.com. It's the site in the Yahoo Sports Network that covers Temple football, Temple basketball, and recruiting. So usually if I'm on the radio, it's usually as a guest on The Fanatic. Uh, a couple years ago when I was on KDKA, uh, the fan in Pittsburgh, it was when Temple was playing Notre Dame that week. I was on with a friend of mine just talking college football and stuff. So usually if I do media appearances, it's as a freelance sports writer. But um, freelancing and, and being involved in sports writing in the sports media industry is great because – you know, A, it's fun, and B, it still keeps you connected to the craft. And when you're teaching a class, you're staying relevant. You you have, um, you know, you don't want to talk too much. You don't want to talk too much about your, your work experience to the class. But, again, you can say, hey, I, I've been through what you were going through last week with this interview, getting this – uh, working on deadline or doing this or doing that. So it's it's a lot, but it's, it's fun, and I, I enjoy it. That's awesome to hear. It sounds like a big day, honestly, with you and all that. But um, I guess I guess we'll just keep moving on for question-wise. Um, have you had any recent appearances on radio shows uh, since then? Uh, last last Sunday, actually on Easter Sunday, I was on uh, with Pat Egan on 97.5, the fanatic Pat. Just wanted to talk about you know Temple's recent, although not yet official, move. Um, you know, announcing that I guess they will soon announce that that. This coming season will be Fran Dunphy's last year at Temple coaching the basketball team, and then Aaron McKee is going to succeed him. So Aaron is essentially going to be named the head coach in waiting or the associate head coach, and a lot of people are talking about that. And, um, you know, people have been wondering about the direction of the basketball program for a while. So Pat had me on to talk about that and talked about Aaron, talked about the move, you know, what it could mean short-term, long-term, and stuff like that. So that was my most recent radio appearance talking about that. That's really cool. Now, for those like appearances, do you get coached by anyone like like by a media team? It's like, hey, you can say this, you can release information about this, but you can't say anything about this. Like some things that maybe the university wants to keep under wraps. That's a great question, and no, um, because um, I, it's you know I'm mindful of, and I, I honestly would be this way whether I worked at Temple full-time or didn't work at Temple full-time. Nobody at Temple has really ever come to me and said, hey, um, I heard you're going to be on the radio tonight. Can you please not say this? Um, and that's largely because, I mean, maybe A, they don't care, or B, um, it's, it's as long as you're fair. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not usually one to go out of my way to just embarrass people or trash people or spread false information. You don't want to do that. I mean, yes, people in the radio business and the TV business, if they get to a certain spot – they get paid to do that for a living. They can just throw hot takes out there and throw unattributed information out there. 
God bless him for being able to do that. That's not really my style. I don't really have that huge of a platform to do that. But, um, you know, I mean, even with the, this Aaron McKee thing, there are some people who, there are a lot of Temple fans who are saying, why can't this happen right away? Uh, that the Fran Dunphy era needs to come to an end. Why can't it happen right away? Who, who decided this? Was it the Board of Trustees? Was it the president? Was it the athletic director? Was it everyone in between? Um, and as long as you're, I, I think as long as you're fair, and as long as you give fair insight and you're balanced, um, whether you work for an institution or not, um, I think people can walk away from saying like, hey, may, I maybe didn't agree with what he said, but at least he was fair about it. I'm sure, you know, I, I've not really had the chance to get the opportunity to talk to him about it, but I'm sure Joe Lenardi runs into some of the same stuff here. I mean, he's in, an, in a media relations role here at St. Joe's in the communications office, as far as I know. And then he goes out and does the bracketology stuff. So, you know, if he was sitting around and it's, let's say it's a year from now, and Phil's got the team back in NCAA tournament consideration, and and if Joe were to say something like, well, you know, St. Joe's is a three seed, but I didn't really think they were going to be a three seed. I didn't think they were deserving of a three seed. Maybe Phil Martelli or maybe someone at the university goes to him and says, Joe, how could you say that? You work here. I don't know if, you've ever, if he's ever run into that or not. I'm sure he gets enough feedback and criticism from just people on you know twitter trolls um and yeah sure is so um so maybe he runs into the same thing but i'm sure his answer would probably be the same thing you just try to be fair you just try to be measured and balanced and you know hopefully that takes care of it and again if anybody ever comes to you and says why did you have to say that or i don't agree with you you can say that's fair enough but as long as you're fair then I think you at least give yourself enough of a defense to say, here's why I did it, but I wasn't trying to take cheap shots. And people usually will settle themselves down and be like, okay, I get it. All right, that's great insight, honestly. Um, I was always curious about that. Um, I guess I'll also go off of that. Um, even though you're always trying to keep yourself in balance, do you ever find your times when you're covering a certain team or story and like maybe the inner fan is a little bit harder to push out? Or at this point, are you just so jaded or used to it that it's really second nature for you to just put any fandom out of your way? I mean, it's, it's another great question. I mean, we're all... Um, I think I talk. I think I probably talked about this in our class. Um, that's why I think fair is the opportune word. Like, you know, when I worked, so I graduated from Temple in 1998, and then my first job, my first real job, full time in newspapers, was working for uh, a paper about 45 minutes away from here in Vineland, New Jersey. It was called the Daily, still called the Daily Journal. It's a Gannett newspaper covered high school stuff, college stuff, covered some Eagles games. And I had no ties to that area whatsoever. Um, had never really heard of Vineland, had never been there. Maybe I'd driven through there going to the shore on vacation or something. Um, but after you cover those teams for a while, um, no, you don't sit up and cheer at a, at a, at a, um, in the press box. You don't outwardly root for teams. You don't wear their gear and stuff like that. But you know, if I ever got to cover a, a team that won a state championship, inside I would definitely be thinking, good for them. That, you know, th this is great. This is cool to see this. Um, you can't help but be happy for them. I think most people like covering winning teams. They like covering positive stories. They like seeing people do well. I very rarely, uh, you know, found myself like rooting against anybody. But um, but again, like I, I don't think any of us are truly objective. Even even the people who are covering the Philly teams in the media here, I think a fair amount of them grew up around here. I mean, I think you saw. Ray Dinger, the, the night the Eagles won the Super Bowl, he's doing his postgame coverage, and Ray is as fair and balanced as anybody I know. But he admitted that, you know, hey, I grew up watching Tommy McDonald. I watched the Eagles win the 1960 championship. His son was working on some 
production piece for either a Comcast or the NFL or the NFL network, his son comes up, gives him a hug, and then they're both in tears and raised like this one's for grandpa, meaning his father, because the Eagles reminded him like, you know, they, his father had never seen the Eagles win a Super Bowl. The last thing he saw was uh, was them winning an NFL championship. So you saw Ray Dindra emoting on TV. So I think, yes, sometimes those lines can be blurred, but um, I'm a two-time Temple graduate and I work there full time. I, I spent a lot of time there. Um, you know, so if two years from now in his first season as head coach, Aaron McKee takes Temple to a Final Four, sure, it'd be fun as anything to cover that. Um, and inside, I might be thinking like, wow, this is this is pretty cool, but I'm not going to be standing up on press row clapping and, and being a goofball about it. Because you, you do get a little desensitized uh, because you have to. Because once you see things, once you know you're in a working environment and you know that you have to comp- like compose something that people are going to read or listen to or watch, you know that if you come across as a fan, people are going to be like, this guy's not balanced. I, I, there is no value here in me consuming anything he produces. So you have to be fair. And, um, you know, and then people can try to test you on that. Like you said, with social media, social media is a bear. Um, sometimes in my case, I can't win either way. Um, you know, if I write something positive about Temple and someone just has in their mind that they're ticked off and they're not happy with how things are going, they'll say, oh, I looked you up. You work at Temple full time. No wonder you wrote a positive story on, you know, Brandon McManus or Hassan Reddick or uh, Lavoy Allen or Khalif Wyatt. And I'd say, well, congratulations for being able to use Google. Yes, I do work at Temple full time. But if you feel any of the stats I've used here are incorrect, you know, let me know. Otherwise, agree to disagree. Um, or, you know, sometimes people will use it against you and say, I look, you know, you work at Temple but you wrote that so-and-so had a bad game. You know, shouldn't you be more positive with them as a full-time employee of the university? And I'll just say, no, I'm, I'm just trying to be fair. And at the same time with that, you know, you are like, I would still listen to a fan if I thought they had a fair point. I'd say, you know what? Hey, good point. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I'll take that into consideration next time. So yeah, the, the fan piece of it is questioned sometimes. And again, after a while, you know, if I were you know, even if you know if I'm a Temple grad, at, but I covered St. Joe's for like eight years for the Enquirer, unless I was really a, a miserable, nasty person, I don't think I would be rooting against Phil Martelli and St. Joe's. And um, you know, when they went to the Elite Eight uh, back in 2004, I think. I mean, um, that was a pretty amazing thing to watch. Phil had a great team. They were. Uh, they had a, a great run going here, and if they, you know, I still think he does a pretty good job. I know they kind of go in and out of the NCAA tournament picture, but um, you know, unless somebody really did something personally to me, and I had a reason to um, feel some sort of negative energy towards them, um, I generally like covering, pot, you know, fun stories, winning stories, and stuff. But you have to be fair, and that means using stats to back things up, um, being consistent, being thorough, and I think if you lean on that as your foundation, more often than not, you're going to be okay, But and that's kind of how you counteract any sort of like fanish feelings you might have, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely makes sense, but uh, everyone, we all are sports fans. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation in the first place. So do you have any particular favorite sports moment that you and you maybe you were assigned to cover on assignment or just really that you've witnessed? Uh, games that I've covered, yeah. Um, and look, I, I grew up, I grew up as an Eagles fan. I grew up as, for the most part, a Phillies fan, um, a Sixers fan, a Flyers fan. I've never covered hockey. Um, 
the first, you know, first few times I covered Eagles games, that was a learning experience for me. You get up in the press box and you look around, <coughs> excuse me, you look around and um, you think a quarterback's going to have a great game. And when you're watching a game from a press box and you see that he's lo- like locked in on a receiver and he doesn't see somebody else breaking wide open, you may not see that on TV and you think, wow. And this is, okay, this is going back to the 90s. I was like, wow, Bobby Hoying really isn't a great quarterback. And I thought he was. If I was watching this game at home, I'd be like, wow. This, he's going to be he's going to be fine. He's going to bounce back. But then when you see it from a different angle, it kind of knocks the fan out of you. But um, sure, there are times like when you get to cover playoff games and stuff like that, you do take a step back and say, this is pretty cool. Like, I really appreciate this. Like there was um, uh, there was an Eagles, an Eagles Tampa Bay Bucks playoff game I covered back in the early 2000s. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was 2000, 2001. I think it was like a New Year's Eve game or a Christmas Eve game, something like that. And um the Eagles won, and, and inside I was like, oh, this is cool, this is exciting, they'll live to play another week. But then I had to focus because um, I had to go down, and my job, I was working for the Daily Journal, but they're part of Gannett, New Jersey, so they're part of the whole Gannett News Group there, the Camden Courier Post, and some of the other papers, and I was assigned to write a sidebar on, again, this is probably, I don't know how young you were, you might have just been born at the time, um, the Bucks had this streak going where they were not able to win a playoff game or a game when the temperature was below freezing or at or below freezing. So I had to go down and ask Keyshawn Johnson about it. And I'm in my early 20s and I'm thinking, oh God, maybe I'll just be in a scrum of reporters and someone will ask it for me and I don't have to ask it. But I go down there and no one's around his locker at this point. So I go down there and I ask him a couple questions and a couple other, a couple other people are huddled around. And I was like, Keyshawn, there's this notion there's this stat out there that you guys can't win when the temperature is at 32 degrees or lower. Do you think there's any truth to that? And I thought he was going to bite my head off because he'd never seen me before. And some pro athletes, when they see a question being answered, hear a question being asked from someone who's not one of the regular beat people they see, they'll bite your head off. He looked at me, he goes, well, yeah, there's some truth to it. We lost today. So yeah, there must be something to it. And you know how we can shut people up when, when the game is not below freezing temperatures. I was like, in my head, I was like, Thank God. And that, but that got me focused on work. As a fan, I thought it was cool the Eagles won, but I'm not standing up and clapping. Um, and then, you know, yeah, there have been a couple of times where I've covered, covered Temple in the NCAA tournament. I mean, um, as a person, even though Fran Dunphy's been through a lot this season in terms of people criticizing his job and wanting him out, and I mean, we, we record a podcast for Al Scoop called The Scoop, and we openly talk about whether or not he should be coming back and his performance and, um, you know, we'll talk about when he gets out recruited by Phil Martelli. Temple recruited DeAndre Bembry and didn't get him. Um, years ago, they recruited Jameer Nelson and didn't get him. That was before Fran's time. That was John Chaney. But um, you have to be fair and critical of the team. But, um, you know, several years ago, they beat Penn State in the NCAA tournament out in Arizona on a last-second shot by Juan Fernandez. Um, if it was 10 years ago and I'm watching at home, I probably would have jumped up because it was a hell of a game. I mean, last-second play – um, and you're sitting there and you watch it happen and you kind of just say to yourself, wow, that was pretty cool. But you're programmed to know that you have to just sit there. Uh, but it was a cool thing, a cool thing to take in. Um, and then probably another one would have been when Temple played Notre Dame a few years ago in football. That whole season, you know, they started off 7-0. and 
Um, uh, that's a football program that was almost dropped 11 or 12 years ago. I mean, Temple used to be by far the worst college football program in America, and it wasn't even close. The facilities were terrible. Um, everything was terrible. They got kicked out of the Big East. They needed to come back as a member of the MAC, and they were really the laughing stock of the country. And for Al Golden to come in and re, you know kind of reboot the program and turn it around, Steve Adazio comes in a couple years, then Matt Rule takes over, they get off to that start, and you know how much of a pro sports town this is. It takes a lot for Philadelphia to really embrace a college team, even though, you know, and it, to be fair to Nova, I mean, they're not going to draw what the Eagles are going to draw for their parade, but, you know, Villanova wins the national championship and people are still saying, are they a Philly team? Are they a Delco team? What's the deal here? Um, so you face a challenge as a, as a college team, but here's Temple at 7-0, and and college football game day came to the came to the city and thousands upon thousands of people were down in independence hall and you're covering that and you're like wow like this is pretty cool like as a temple grad as a temple person you could not have told me five ten years ago that this ever would have happened that you'd see a scene here like you'd see at auburn clemson alabama albeit in a big city and then you go home you write your story go back to, you know, go back to the link, and they're playing on Saturday night, ABC College Game of the Week. The link is sold out. Yes, there were several thousand Notre Dame fans there because they're a big national team, but there were a ton of Temple fans there. It was lot K at the link. It was like being at a Phillies playoff game or, or an Eagles playoff game. I'd never seen anything like that, and I did take a couple of minutes to just, you know, look around and say, wow. I, I mean, I who would have who would have thought? Um, Kevin Nagani from ESPN is a really good friend of mine. We went to school together, and there were a couple of times where we would say, yes, we have to settle ourselves as journalists, but we were in school around the same time in the late 90s, and we're like, this is unreal. Like, this is cool to just step back and enjoy this as a fan, but then you quickly kind of say, all right, I got to cliche as it sounds, I got to go to work and, and write something or produce some piece of content and act coherent and not act like a crazy fan. That's very true. That's really cool, though, that little Kevin Nagandi piece. I didn't know that. Speaking of uh, Kevin Nagandi, who is the highest-profile contact that you have in your phone? It's a little fun game that I think we're going to play with everyone that we interview um, just to get a sense of really, like, I don't know, who you may know, who you who uh, you may be in contact with or not in contact with. Um, oh, I hate answering questions like this. I, I, I promise you I, it's not like I have, like, a ton of high-profile contacts on my phone. Um <laughs> I I guess it would be you're talking about like media wise media, media wise player wise either either or um, I mean there are a bunch of guys in the NFL now who I've um who I've covered um I mean like you know Hassan Reddick who's playing he was a first round pick of the Arizona Cardinals um but I have his contact from covering him at Temple Tyler Matikevich um Brandon McManus was a Super Bowl champion. Was damn near ended up being the Super Bowl MVP a few years ago because of all the field goals he kicked and stuff. Um, but again, that doesn't. I'm not patting myself on the back because of that because I just covered those guys and I've known them for a while. And I'm not. It's not like I'm breaking bread with them every week and um, talking to them all the time. But um, Kevin is just. Uh, if it's media wise, yeah, it would be Kevin. 
Kevin Nagani is an ESPN sports anchor that typically hosts the 7 a.m. showing of ESPN's hit show, SportsCenter, that recaps basically the daily things that go on in the sports world. But he also has had some high-profile jobs, including covering the Women's Final Four, the Special Olympics in Austria, and most recently, back in July of 2017, being assigned to ABC's Saturday crew covering college football. But I... I know this will sound trite. I know this will sound cliche, but Kevin is the same guy now for the most part in terms of like his foundation, his values, who he is. Um, He's the same guy now that he was in college. He is, of course, I'm biased, but he's just a really, really, really genuine guy. He works hard. Um, He loves his family. He's got a great wife. He's got three kids. He cares cares about them, loves them very much. Um, he came back a few years ago to be Temple's main commencement speaker, and that was a huge deal to him. Like making his mom proud um, is a really big deal to him. Um, he got to meet Barack Obama a few years ago when, when Obama he got invited to the White House, and he was like, "I'm, I'm pinching myself." Um, he when he comes back to Temple and we'll go grab lunch or something, and people will grab him for selfies. Like, "Hey, can I talk to you?" He's like, "I this." I still haven't gotten used to this. It's weird. I mean, he's nice about it. I'll say sure, but um, he's he's the real deal. He is. There are a lot of people in the radio and and, and TV business who are as arrogant as you might think they are. Um, and Kevin's confident. He's a, he's a good dude, but he's um, again. I have his number on my phone just because I've known him for twenty plus years, and um, we'll talk about sports we'll talk about politics we'll talk about just you know life in in general and I'm very fortunate to be able to lean on him for advice or just get together with him um you know when I can I mean he was at my wedding and not because I wanted a high profile guest at my wedding just because he was he's a friend and and his wife's great so um so I I guess it would be him but again it's it's just comes from you know from life um but you know some of the other like radio and TV personalities in town. But again, you just you just get to know them through work. And once you, again, I know this sounds like a huge cliche too. But like once you get into the business, if you, if you meet people who are high profile or deemed to be famous, once you get to know them, you realize hopefully you realize that they're they're people just like you are, and they they may be just as excited to meet you, and they're more genuine than you'd think. So, um, so I mean I would love to. I, for me, musicians are still like larger than life. Like if I, if I had like, you know, Paul McCartney's number on my phone, or any of the guys from, you know, U2 or Coldplay or like Jay Z or somebody like that, I'd be like, oh, this is, this is it. They're still musicians are still larger than life to me. Actors, actresses, but maybe the people who work for Rolling Stone in the entertainment industry, maybe no big deal for them to say, oh, I've got, yeah, I've got, you know, I can call Jay-Z right now if I wanted to. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess it would be Kevin, but again, uh, I'm not spraining my shoulder, patting myself on the back from that. He's just, he's just been a friend for a long time. Okay. Okay. Well, they all still count. Every one of them still counts. So, all right. So this one, John DiCarlo, just for the record, John DiCarlo's biggest contact, most high profile contact on his phone is Kevin Nagandi. Not a bad start to the series, in my opinion. Pretty good. John, thank you for the time. I really appreciate you coming in and having a chance to talk with us. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in the future. You too. You too. Appreciate it. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, and whatever else you may identify with, that's all we have for today's episode. We have a very special guest coming up for our next one, so don't worry about the content. We've got that covered. But until then, my fellow people, peace out.